May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 and 2b and chapter 7 verses 24 through 29. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This is God's word to God's people.
Well, we are moving along on our, our Lenten pilgrimage. I hope you're enjoying the, the devotional books. Um, if you haven't gotten that yet, you can still get that in the office. Um, I'm finding that the devotional helps to uh, fill in some additional thinking to what's going on in the chapter. So even if you are uh, with Rachel and I in the studying of the, of the book, The Way, that devotional guide will also be of, uh, of benefit and not redundant. We're talking about walking in Jesus' footsteps and we're seeing that as a, as a key to our lives of discipleship. I want you to recall how the early movement of Jesus was called the way and it was called that out of a recognition that followers of Jesus tended to have a, a certain perspective about themselves. This happens when you identify Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You take Christ Jesus as your center point of your life and you seek to have what scripture calls the mind of Christ become uh, your thoughts, your mind. His teachings to become your marching orders, his sensitivities to become your sensitivities, your concerns and your passions. Is this true? Who said yes? Hey, Renee, bless you. Does anyone else want to risk with Renee and say amen? amen. All right, you Methodist. God loves us, God really does, God has to. Yes, this is true about us as disciples of Christ, that when we are followers of Christ, we try to take on the mind of Christ and we seek by intention to have our, our thoughts, our words, and our actions reflect Jesus' thoughts, words, and actions. It's a mouthful. It's a big challenge, and that's why we're at it for a lifetime and why we focus intentionally upon that during Lent. So we've talked about this, this cycle that Jesus uh, shows us in the baptism and the wilderness experience, this cycle of blessing and struggle and resolution, and I hope I was uh, helpful in getting you to think about how, as you mature as a spiritual being, you will cycle through that cycle uh, many times. And that will be part of the marking of, of your maturity and that you do do that. You will experience blessing. You will sense that there's more to that blessing than the aha and the pleasantness of it for you. That it asks something more of you on behalf of the kingdom and you discover that and you live into that and you do that and, and that's a, a moment of rejoicing. And that takes you to a new level of blessing which then presents you with a new challenge and struggle. We see that as a paradigm for how spiritual growth is for us. Last week we were focusing on Jesus' healing ministries and, and we were bold enough to say that if, if we were going to be followers of Jesus in his way, then we needed to engage in healing ministries of some kind. If Jesus was about healing that much, 
then as followers of Jesus, we were to be engaged in healing as well. We talked about being stretcher bearers for people. I think that's just a marvelous image for what we can do on behalf of the Spirit for one another. Today we're considering Jesus' main concern and theme, which was the kingdom of God. Our scripture begins this morning with a couple verses that are the opening gambit of a large number of verses in Matthew that convey to us Jesus' teachings. It begins with the, the Sermon on the Mount. If we want to figure out what was important to Jesus and his perspective, Jesus' perspective on God, on, on humanity, on our relationships, we would be well to dig into his teachings and try our hardest to understand them so that we would benefit from their wisdom. And to understand what Jesus taught, we first might want to take note of how Jesus taught. He taught in a variety of ways. One way was by direct statements, which is thankfully the easiest. Jesus did that a few times. We're, we're happy for that. Blessed are the peacemakers. Anybody not understand what that means? Straightforward statement of blessing. Easy to comprehend. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. Any confusion there? Straight statement. Straight teaching to us. Jesus also taught by uh, similes and metaphors. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Well, how so, Jesus? What do you mean? Like in what way? So not quite as easy and direct as a statement about something, but a little more thought-provoking and perhaps more interesting way of teaching. It's like a mustard seed. Well, what do we know about mustard seeds? They're small, little things like that, yet they burst out and they become a, a fairly big bush. Um, the birds like to hang out in them. Was it a big tree in the Middle East in those days? We don't know. But the kingdom of God is maybe like something that is so small that we can hardly even see it. Yet through God's power becomes something that's kind of marvelous. You are the light of the world. You are the yeast. Hmm. I'm smelly. You are the salt. So these are ways by which Jesus is trying to teach us something about our role as people who are alive with the Spirit. But it's not a direct statement. We have to think a bit about it. We have to remember what it's like to try to find the bathroom at four in the morning when it's totally dark and how much you would appreciate a light. And then we go, ah, oh, you mean I am like that to my community? I get it. 
I get it. Jesus also teaches through parables. Now, parables are stories. We love the parables. And sometimes we make a little bit more out of the parables than we should because generally it's thought parables are trying to teach one thing, not three or four things. But the parables are so rich, it's, it's easy to try to grab three or four lessons out of the parable and not just one. Even me right here, I was going to say, take, for example, the Good Samaritan story. And I have two purposes in it instead of just one. It's, it's hard to cut the parables down to just one basic lesson. But the parables are stories that capture our imagination and so are able to present this lesson so we, we can visualize it and grab hold of it uh, a little more clearly. The Good Samaritan being about who is the merciful neighbor? The Samaritan woman at the well, that parable about crossing boundaries. And then te Jesus teaches through hyperbole. And I don't know where he got this into his head because this is the most confounding of all his ways of teaching. It's through exaggeration. It's through an exaggeration that just seems to almost offend. Um, so it's a way to get our attention more, a way to uh, shake us perhaps or something. Let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. What? Are you serious? If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now, you didn't really mean that, Jesus, did you? What did you mean? Some of his lessons are kind of easy to get a handle on. Some of them we have to think a lot about, maybe even meditate on talk to our friends. His clearest way of teaching was by doing. Saving the adulterous woman from the stoning of the self-righteous. Washing the feet of his disciples. Teaching what leadership was about. Sacrificing himself on the cross. So we draw together, we draw together all these means by which Jesus taught. And through them, we, we seek to discover key lessons for us on how to follow in Jesus' footsteps. It seems simple enough, really, but quite honestly, we all know it's really pretty challenging we have to first actually pay attention. Then we have to really listen to what's being said. And then we have to think it through, try to comprehend what we heard, and, and then we have to put it all to work and actually own it in our lives. Remember Monty Python's movie, The Life of Brian? Ryan's on this hillside with some of his buddies. I, I forget if it's his uh, mother or wife and friends. And, and they're whacking each other. They're just, it's like junior high school. They're not paying any attention at all. But they're there, supposedly, because Jesus is over there giving the what turns out to be the Beatitudes. But they're over here all distracted, right? And, and they're thinking they're hearing. They're trying to hear, but they're not hearing very well. And they go, well... Blessed are the cheesemakers, the cheesemakers. He's saying, blessed are the cheesemakers. Why the cheesemakers? 
They're not hearing Jesus right, are they? They're distracted. They're into their own little dysfunction. They came with an intent of listening, but they're not hearing well. When Rachel and I started, we, we owned up to a challenge that was in front of not just she and I, but the modern day church, which is the attitude the millennials and the generation before and after them have about the church. And one of those characteristics that they would pin upon us is the time-honored one of saying that churchgoers are hypocrites. And they feel that way because somehow they've heard a little bit about what we're supposed to be about. Somehow, the words of Jesus have gotten into their head and they have some thoughts about what followers of Jesus ought to be like, what they ought to say. And they, they look at the church and they think we're not measuring up. We want to make sure, you and I, we want to make sure that that critique doesn't apply to us. That we are authentic in our following of Jesus. That we've taken the time to, to pay attention. We've made the effort to actually listen. We've worked a little bit at trying to comprehend. And we've resolved that we're going to make it a part of our lives. And then, when we do that, we will not only be moving along the way of Jesus ourselves, but we will be giving an opportunity for others to see what that looks like, what that sounds like, and maybe to entertain the thought themselves that that's a good path to walk down. So we begin by thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. If we want to think about what Jesus has to say, well, let's just get right at it and look at the Sermon on the Mount. It's a well, it's a series of sayings that seem to turn everything upside down from what generally our society and the world seems to think about things. And it's remarkable that it does that even today in that it's over 2,000 years old, this Sermon on the Mount. And if you, if you have heard the Sermon on the Mount in your candid conversation with someone, if you've conceded to them that, yes, it sounds like a, a really kind of wimpy pat on the back of people who are having some challenges and troubles in their lives. Well, if that's what you hear, rather than a call to revolution, then you're not hearing it quite right. You're not listening as closely as you should. 
Because what could Jesus possibly mean by saying, blessed are the meek? How on earth could that possibly be right? Jesus goes on to say, we want to gain in the wisdom of the law. Yes, we do. We do. But look beneath it. Look within it for its true spirit. And so if you think, you good 2,000 years ago Jews who are hearing Jesus teach, if you think that following every jot and tittle of the Mosaic law is the way that you are supposed to be, you need to hear Jesus again. If we moderns are not somehow struggling with the freedom that grace gives us to live righteous and holy lives in the context of this moment and then this moment, and instead we are turning back to rigid rules, we need to dig deeper into the spirit of the law and find the grace point Jesus would say, I think Jesus would say. Jesus goes on to say, we were created for good works, missional living, spreading love. That's what we're to be about. Practice personal piety, Jesus says, yet also practice righteous behavior. Your hope is well-placed, be at peace. Your hope is well-placed in God. But when you place your hope in God, trust in God and follow God's lead. And you know what? Don't be too full of yourself or earthly possessions or social status. Your true identity, Jesus says, is found in God, not in these other things. Your true worth is found in your character. If you thought the best way to live your life was just to rule your world regardless of anyone else, and then at your convenience, invite God in to be a partner. You need to listen a little bit more to what Jesus has to say. And if I've confused you about everything I've said, Jesus says, just think of this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There it is. That's the whole ball game. That's the law. That's the prophets. That's it. That's the whole thing. If you can't gather all of this stuff, just grab hold of that. And with everything you say and do, let that be your lead. And I tell you what, you'll be with me in heaven.
Jesus gives these particulars for us. He gives this summation for us to help us. And in the large view of all that's happening here in Jesus' teaching, Jesus is basically saying, God rules. God's sovereignty is over all of creation. God is our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer. The kingdom of God is what we are to be of, to be about, and to be doing. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in three ways. First is that the kingdom of God is a goal for us. It's out there. It's a vision for us. We are to see this as what we are aiming for in this whole um, enterprise of human life with God is, is the kingdom of God. Where God's reign is fully upon all of creation and all of creation hears and responds to God's sovereignty and lives in peace and in love in harmonious relationship with one another. That that's the goal out there. The kingdom of God is a vision for us that we strive for, that we're seeking to uh, become. Jesus presents the kingdom of God like that. Swords into plowshares, reconciled relationships, tears dried. Jesus then startles us by saying that, you know what, the kingdom of God is among you right now. And his hearers kind of went, what? What do you mean? No, really. Draw near. The kingdom of God is among you. And Jesus was talking about himself and talking about the effect of himself upon those who open themselves up to God through Christ. And Jesus teaches us that we, even right now in our lives, can participate in the kingdom of God when we open ourselves up to Jesus' redemptive love. And the more and the more we yield ourselves over our pilgrimage of faith to Christ Jesus and Jesus' way, the more and the more we will be living in the kingdom of God in our lives. The more our perspective will change about things, the more our priorities might alter and the purpose of our lives change. The kingdom of God opens its doors through Christ Jesus and invites us in even now, invites us to be kingdom people who live Jesus's way. And then Jesus also says, but you know what? It really is not right now in totality. I hope you have that experience. I want that experience for you, but the fullness of the kingdom of God is out there beyond us still. And I invite you to work with me in partnership to get us there. 
And in some places of scripture, we get a sense that the way to get there is going to be through Armageddon. Everything's going to come crumbling down and the, and the sacred few of us will live on. And other parts of scripture see that differently, see the kingdom of God coming in the fullness of time and blossoming here among us as we all finally turn ourselves over to our oneness with God. I like that vision more than death and destruction to usher in the kingdom of God. I worry sometimes, though. We live in a partnership with God in the present experience of the kingdom of God to work towards the full blossoming of the kingdom of God here on earth as it is on heaven. That's part of the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Anybody say that daily? Three hands went up. Are the rest of you asleep? Is that why you're so quiet? We pray for this daily. Look out. We pray for this daily. May it be true. May it come true. So I, I, I chose the, uh, the second scripture, the second part of the scripture you heard read this morning because that comes at the end of all these teachings from Jesus and it's just, it's just a marvelous it's just a marvelous image that he brings up for us that says, uh, yeah, did you hear me? Did you hear what I've been saying? Let me just reiterate. If you're hearing what I'm saying, it's like you're building your house on a stone, solid foundation. So when the trials of life, the unemployments, the cancers, the deaths, the trials of life come your way, you will not crumble. You will withstand. You will prevail. Yet if you're foolish and you haven't been listening to me, you may choose to build your house on some other surface, something like sand. That's not going to hold you up when the challenges come. So, dear listener, Jesus says, what will it be? What kind of foundation do you want to anchor your life upon? We all know the answer to that. Amen.